Today on the Nerd Outcast podcast, we talk about Star Wars. Hello, welcome back. Uh, as you can probably tell, we are going to talk about the Star Wars prequels. Uh, we have done every uh, Star Wars movie on this podcast uh, thus far, but we we skipped over the prequels uh, for various reasons, and and it's, suddenly the prequels seem to be back in the zeitgeist, and and there's interesting thoughts occurring about the prequel, so we thought now would be a great time to discuss that. Um, before we begin, I brought on a group of experts who can feel they can speak with some authority about this given subject. Uh, my first expert is over in Kentucky. Uh, what is your name, sir? Hi, I'm Ricky Glore. Hey, Ricky, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, it's always fun to talk about Star Wars. I mean, come on, come on. Even when it's bad Star Wars, it's fun to talk about Star Wars. I, I, felt, I felt super depressed that I missed out on the Rise of Skywalker discussion. <laughs> Um, I feel because... we may touch we may touch on the sequels in this one, but go go ahead. Cool. No, I I was just sad that I missed that because uh, I was part of the Empire Strikes Back, The Force Awakens. You and I did one for the podcast I previously did for the Last Jedi. So I've always gotten to talk with you in a, a very heavy medium about the movies, and I just didn't get that with Rise of Skywalker yeah. and I feel like there's a piece of me missing. Yeah. I think we text. We I texted. Think we, I think, yeah. Yeah, but uh, like we we talked about the last Jedi shortly after my daughter was born, so there's mm-hmm. like this kind of like Family, the theme of family runs deep in Star Wars. You know? <laughs> and even if it's not supposed to, they'll force it down your they, throats. They sure will. Um, Ricky, I just have yep. a, a quick question for you before I, I jump away. Um, uh, where does this trilogy of movies rank? We have three trilogies. Where do where do the prequels rank for you in the three trilogies? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a surprise Gosh. question. Yeah, um, they rank as my, if I have to be honest, least favorite, just because the, um, the, I only really care for one out of three of these. Okay, great. All right, so they're number three. Perfect. Uh, We'll hold on to your thoughts. We're going to get into them very shortly. Uh, My next expert has also been on the show before. He is over in Chicago. Introduce yourself, my friend. Hey, I'm Mark Rosenthal. Yay, Mark, welcome back. Yeah, awesome. How are you doing? Rad as hell, buddy. <laughs> uh, Mark, I really, I just, I need to say right now on the mic, I am really enjoying watching your journey through Star Trek. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, this is not a Star Trek podcast, but I really just have so many questions I want to ask you about Star Trek, and, and I may just text them to you. Hey, no problem. Or we can just do that instead. Let's call an audible. I want to talk about how data fucks. I love it. Uh, It makes me so happy that you you have arrived at DS9. So I'm really curious to see what you think about that show when it's all said and done. So far, so good. The Dominion just showed up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark, I want to throw the same question to you. Where Where do the prequels as a trilogy rank in the three trilogies that we have? Ooh, dead last. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I feel the same kind of as, as, as Ricky does mm-hmm. in that I really only care about one of the movies. Okay. 
Great. Great. Oh, real quick though. Are yeah. we counting Rogue One and Solo as prequels? We are not. Okay. Then and... yeah. Then then everything stands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really want to know what your one is because I think we differ, and I bet you I could guess what your one is, Mark. Well, we'll, we'll get to we'll get we'll to get that. into that. We'll I'm get sure. into that. Uh, my last guest, you just heard, he's here in Los Angeles with me. What's your name, friend? Hi, my name is David C. Hernandez. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm super bummed I missed the missed the last one. So yeah, was it? It was a Star Wars talk too, wasn't it? Was it Clone yeah, Wars? Yeah, it was. Was it Clone, uh, or was it Rise of Skywalker? No, it was Rise of Skywalker. It was. Oh, ah, yeah. so, oh, so many ex Rise of Skywalker friends here. Oh, <laughs> we'll just talk about that. No, we're not. Um, so, David, uh, same question to you. Where does this Where does this trilogy rank in the three trilogies for you? Um, this one actually is a uh, second for me. Oh, I, I was, I was really hoping someone would say first. I really doubted someone <laughs> would say first, but that's interesting. I, I really can't wait to hear why. Um, yeah, I was hoping for the world to not be on fire, but like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. 2020. <laughs> um, so, so gentlemen, let's, let's jump into this discussion. Um, for my listeners who are listening, um, we're going to try and approach this a little bit different. There, there have been dissertations and and thesis, thesis, theses, whatever doctrines written about how bad the prequels are. Um, it is well documented. Uh, the you know the hate about what George Lucas you know took his own didn't take his own advice and and all these different things of of why these movies are bad from the writing to the acting and blah blah blah. Um, so what we're going to try and do is talk about what the prequels do well or what they do right, if anything. And it may only be a three-minute discussion, and that's okay. (laughs) Or it may not. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on the bad, but I'd love to touch on what they do well. And and before we go any further, Dave Fialoni is great. Clone Wars is wonderful. Rebels is fun. That pod racing game is really good. There have been a lot of good things that have come out of the prequels, but we're going to keep this discussion focused solely on these three movies. So mm. no Rogue One, unfortunately. We should do a Rogue One podcast. That would be fun fun to do. Um, no Solo, nothing, nothing like that. Just these three. So I kind of want to toss this ball uh, over to you first, Mark. Um, okay. What... If anything, does this, um, what does this trilogy do well? Like, if you have to pitch this trilogy to me, like, how do you pitch this trilogy to me? Uh, I, I think the one thing that this trilogy does very well that I think, uh, especially the sequel trilogy, does not do as well for the most part is it takes some big swings. Like, it doesn't always nail on what it's going for, but it, like, it, you know, what kind of movie opens up and is like, all right, we have a baby space Jesus and he's going to get into a Ben-Hur chariot race right at the beginning of the film. Uh, and, and like the pod race sequence is is fantastic. I think for the most part, all the action sequences are great in the prequels with the exception of the uh, uh, the stuff in uh, Attack, like the that, towards the end of Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. like the Yoda fight and all that stuff, I think is just too, eh, too kiddy for me. But uh, 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 other than that, I think uh, the action, action-wise, it's it's pretty solid. Ewan McGregor uh, holds up that entire trilogy on his back, just lugs it across six years of filmmaking, and good for him. <laughs> he deserves it. He's fantastic. And Ian McDermott. Uh, Ian McDermott should have nine Oscars uh, for playing Emperor Palpatine alone. He's very good at it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you you answered like five of my questions, so I think we're done. Cool. Um, I'll see you later. <laughs> uh, let me let me toss this over to you, Ricky. What does this? What same question? What does this? What what do the prequels, as as a trilogy, do well? I think a lot of things that fans talked about, either if it was in picture books or when we were kids, or if it was just people talking about from magazines, the lore of, oh, do you know how Anakin became Darth Vader? It was on this lava planet and it was with Obi-Wan and like getting to see things like that, that have been talked about for years happen. I thought it was really cool. One of the things that I, I actually love regardless of how well the execution was done was getting into the politics. Mm. Um, I, I think that is actually not the misstep. I think the idea of this tyrannical government keeping um, people poor, especially as shown in like new hope with the farmers, the moisture farmers. Yeah. I think there's an area that they could have really uh, explored and gotten into with that. It's there. It's just, again, maybe not done the best. Um, yeah, and just the world. I mean, expanding the world and how these groups of people function and deal with each other based on religion, kind of, and uh, the the monarchy, which you hear that she is a princess in the first set of films, but you that's really all you get. And this movie kind of delves into it. Well, where does the princess live? Well, what is that family like? Are they protected by guards and blah, blah, blah? Because the princess in the original films is just part of this rebellion, this offshoot thing where it doesn't really feel like she has a home base. Mm -hmm. So I think it's cool to see a lot of that stuff in the prequels. Mm -hmm. uh, David, same same question to you. What is this? What does the trilogy do well? You know, uh, I, I think I'm just going to kind of continue off of what Ricky said. I think my biggest appreciation for the prequels is the expansion of the world. Um, the it, it takes over a place in, in a galaxy which has, you know, millions of star systems, millions of different kinds of creatures, um, you know, different uh, political structures, different cultures. Um, and I, I know that's something that Lucas really wanted to explore in the original trilogy. Um, so the fact that they're able to execute it with a little bit more ease with the, the advent of the computer generated, um, characters and being able to expand off, you know, for better or for worse, being able to expand, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the worlds, uh, I, I think they executed pretty well. Um, also, Mark talked about the action. The action sequences are great. Uh, I think as a cinematic experience, it was beautiful to watch. I think that, um, you know, being a, a fan of films, sitting in the theater, hearing, uh, you know, the THX surround sound, um, visual stunning colors like the palettes that they were able to create um in being able to decipher uh what each of the the films their tones were going for i think they executed that very well um and i think kind of uh the downfall of the republic in it, the exploration of the politics like it made a very um, logical progression as to how Palpatine was able to take over 
like it mm-hmm. like it made sense um you know in in his masterful puppetry of everything um you know i i would have loved for them to be able to expand on that a little bit more mm-hmm. uh but it you know i think i think they got it more or less right um in it, that story it's interesting um uh, you mentioned uh, you guys mentioned the world building which i actually hadn't really considered and like if you look at like if you look at just the original trilogy we know there's clone wars we know there was a Senate that gets mm. disbanded, and uh, Yoda has a line about the council he will keep uh, of who to train and who to not. So uh, maybe it's implied like he had a group of mentors or somebody that he perhaps talked to when he was training for all these hundreds of years. And that's it, right? Like you get no other history of the world from the original trilogy. Am I, am I leaving anything out? Like you don't even know how Anakin ends up in the suit. From, yeah, yeah. sure oh, we do. True. We know exactly how Darth Vader betrayed him. Oh, Obi Wan right. says it out loud. Oh no! Oh God, Mark. From a from a certain point of view, <laughs> Mark. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and and it's it, like the swinging for the fences, kind of that you talk about, Mark. Like that's you're like, it's really ballsy for your first movie, like the opening crawl to talk about like taxation. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like like that that opening crawl of Phantom Menace is exceptionally boring. You know, like well, it's it's, the, it's crazy. Yeah. It's the first new Star Wars movie, right? Since nineteen eighty three. Mm-hmm. So here we are. It's nineteen what ninety nine. Yep. It's been sixteen years later, and we open up with two Jedi, each with their own lightsaber, going faster than ever than we've ever seen before. There's talking droids. There's weird, very racist caricatures of. <laughs> Uh, uh, the Nemodians. <laughs> yep. Um, and like the movie just opens up. All of a sudden, they're running fast. They're, uh, you know, deflecting blaster bolts. Like, not just like one here and there, but like everyone. We get droidicas. Literally, the. Fr- and then they land on the planet, and all of a sudden, there's a Jar Jar Binks and a forest full of animals. It, it, it really does take a lot of big swings. And for the most part, I do think it hits on some a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um,. But yeah, I mean, obviously there, there's some, uh, I think there's just like story issues and maybe some hubris issues involved in them. <laughs> so that, that is... But what you, but, but ahead, what you just said, though, um, with how it opens and what Chris said with the scroll is it's incredibly contradictory. Sure. That I think, yes, that the, the opening scroll might have been boring, but then what if we would have been dropped into the world of a a, a impoverished area or a planet that people are struggling because of these financial burdens that are that are thrust upon them and it wasn't this dense scroll and then george going "Uh, people for years have been asking me what can a lightsaber do so i I just wanted to show them what a lightsaber could (laughs) like and then robots with individualism but also a hive mind it it was. I don't know why that scroll existed with the opening that he wanted to do, and it's, then into Jar Jar. Especially mm-hmm. because when you finally get to like Naboo and you see like the capital city, they're not an impoverished people. They're <laughs> the richest people all. in the galaxy. <laughs> Everything's made of marble. It's crazy. And, they're and, super, and unless yeah, and unless titanium. that's gonna be a point. <laughs> Like, unless that's going to be a point that, oh, and see how these people live and then show the juxtaposition to that, why there is a war that happens, why clones are created maybe by the poor 
to have numbers to stand up for them when, you know, they didn't have the numbers against the, you know, there's a lot of rich stuff there that just, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. If it was part of a draft that he went for glitz over substance, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of coulda and not a lot of didna. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we've touched on this a a little bit and we're, we're kind of jumping around. Um, Which, which prequel if any, has the best story. You know, which one is the best story? Executed story or base story? That's a great uh, delineation. Uh, answer both. That's really fascinating to me that you asked that. <laughs> because I think, uh, I'll, I'll show my hand, I think sure. Phantom Menace is the best out of all of them. It might have stung the hardest with being the introduction, but alone with the acting of Liam Neeson and the character of Qui-Gon Jinn, who I think is one of the most interesting Jedis who doesn't get enough uh, to do or exploration mm-hmm. and also should have been Anakin's deadbeat uh, father. Mm. Just saying that because we don't need Space Jesus. Um, space he's Jesus. a questionable... Je- yeah, he's a questionable <laughs> Jedi. He, he, does, he uses the Force to get kind of what he wants. Mm-hmm. He never is like, oh, I'm doing this for the greater good because I see a prophecy. Mm-hmm. He just kind of does it because he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I don't think we see any other kind of Jedi like that. So I think that's what makes Phantom Menace really interesting. I think the base story of Revenge of the Sith could have been great. But then when you gloss over the Order 66 to kill all the Jedi, and that takes a minute, and then you waste 45 minutes on an Emperor Palpatine Yoda fight Mm -hmm. and an Obi-Wan Anakin fight in which you know the endings, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I mean, story-wise, I I agree. that I think they had an issue with uh, Revenge of the Sith because they were forced to fill so many gaps in a single film. And you know, Lucas, like, that really sounds wants familiar, to... like a rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I but and he's and he's working on a, um, you know, self-inflicted truncation of time because he doesn't want to, you know, go over the two-hour limit. Um, and uh, but I I agree with you too. I enjoyed probably Phantom Menace the most uh, as far as its executions concern um and that the uh revenge of the sith had the most to to try and fill in um but you know again i i think we can all agree they kind of dropped the ball on that and it's hard revenge of the sith i mean one of the the biggest things that plagues this series is you know the outcome Mm. yeah there's there's really no mystery and the stuff that doesn't fulfill the outcome is inconsistencies between Lucas or or Marquand or you know the writers of the original trilogies that wrote the scripts which makes you go like wait that doesn't make sense so ultimately Revenge of the Sith is going to end in a way that is satisfying but you know what's going to happen yeah word uh i will say i think the best executed story for me is Revenge of the Sith. Uh, mostly because, and, and this is more just because it's the one that has the most action for me. It's the one that feels the most like uh, like what the original trilogy of Star Wars. There's just, from that opening space battle, which is super rad, the lightsaber <laughs> fights are really good. Uh, General Grievous, I think, is, 
I, I haven't seen the Clone Wars TV show. He's kind of wasted in the movie, but I love the idea of just this decrepit old dying droid with, like, human lungs, I guess, coughing around all over the place. It's just a great idea that they just don't land. I think the best story, base-wise, that just doesn't get good is Attack of the Clones. Mm. I love the story of Attack of the Clones. Like, it's a weird, like, murder mystery that splits off into this clone army and everything. And the only and problem- a love story. And, and, yeah. a, and a love story, yeah. And, you know, it's a very badly put-together love story. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... Space cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that bizarre, terrifying nightmare peach that he cuts in half. <laughs> That, I don't know why, or pear or whatever it is, that thing to this day, like, whenever I watch Attack of the Clones, that's the part of the movie I'm like, that's it, I give up. Attack- well, that's because Lucas is not good with symbolism. Mm-hmm. Like, look at any of the movies. The other writers are much better with symbolism because that's his forbidden fruit. That's why he attacks that peach. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. George Lucas <laughs> is, a, is a bad writer who's a great idea man. Like that. Yeah. George Lucas should just sit in a room behind a desk, and people should just get in line and walk up to the desk and say, Give me an idea. And he goes, uh, A decrepit alien man. They go, Great, thank yeah. you, George Lucas. And they walk away <laughs> and they give him 20 bucks or whatever. And, and that's, that's what it. they didn't have on these prequels, is they didn't have one saying, No, George, you can't do that. Or, George, is that a good idea? Maybe we should gestate that. Maybe that should go in the oven a little bit longer. Well, I mean, Absolutely. numerous times people have, uh, you know, made analysis on the original trilogy. Well, not even the original trilogy. Star Wars, when it when it first came out, it went through several edits. You had lots of people, you know, mm-hmm. putting their, their two cents in to make the film what it was. And, you know, you didn't have that with uh, any of the sequels. Or, excuse me, the prequels. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret that Marsha Lucas is the person who edited A New Hope into a watchable film. Um, yeah. And, yeah. He, you know, then he passed it on to Irvin Kirshner and then, you know, uh, kind of Richard Marquand for Return of the Jedi. Um, and the fact that he came back for the prequels and just like, I'm going to do everything. And it's just like, <laughs> well, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? Yeah. yeah. The thing that bugs me about George Lucas, and this is what really gets me down on the prequels uh, whenever I think about it, is back when Revenge of the Sith was, uh, before it was going to be released, I went to Wizard World in Chicago, and they had so many, like, episode three panels leading up to it. And it was super cool. Like, uh, Rick McCallum was there, and Nick Gillard was there, and they had, like, behind-the-scenes footage of them rehearsing for the final battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin. It was great. And they showed this clip from the, like, behind-the-scenes, and it was George Lucas... And he says, uh, well, the way that I uh, uh, separated the story was Phantom Menace was uh, 20% of the story and 80% filler. And then Attack of the Clones was 20% of the story and 80% filler. And then Revenge of the Sith was 60% of the story and only 40% filler. And everyone, like, you could hear everyone's, like, buttholes clench. <laughs> Inside the what? Did, what did he room. mean by filler? Like, what? What, what does he? What like does he came up like? with concepts, like, and then the rest of it was all just stuff he bullshit together. Uh, yeah, God. Well, yeah, like 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 a television series. Yeah, right. No, like uh, isn't it a television series? It's episodes one, three, six, seven. Like there's a there's a there's an outline for what episodes actually matter mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the serializ serialization in a television series, and I think. 
because these are based off of serials, when George was helming it, he's like, all right, here's the stuff that I gotta do, but I'm not gonna spend any time on making the side quests, these B-plots, C-plots, interesting, where a lot of those are the things that we did hear about in the original movies, like the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. It's like, how did we not spend any time... Yeah. In the Clone Wars, in the movies. The Clone Wars is one battle on Genosis and then some background stuff in Revenge of the Sith. Mm. And that's pretty much it. Like, Mm. orders. We watch watch Gungans fight robots (laughs) for like 45 minutes in Phantom Minute. Like, robots! We don't care! And this is pre Marvel. This is Mm -hmm. pre, like, if you're going to kill a bunch of of things, they have to be robots. Yeah. Mm hmm. So I'm, <laughs> you've all said great things, Mark. I, I'm with you. I think Revenge of the Sith is probably the most Star Wars-y one. You know, it feels the most Star Wars to me. Um, it also, I think, has the biggest flaw of all of them in, in that the, the, the twist towards the dark side for Anakin just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work. Oh, it's um, very badly done. It's very badly done. It's, I mean, he, he really does go to killing children very quickly, and it's just... Even uh, whenever you have time after you finish Deep Space Nine, please watch Clone Wars. It is really fun, and Rebels is also great. But even with the character development they give Anakin in Clone Wars, it still doesn't flesh out that, really, he's killing children now? Like, that seems really out of left field. He goes to to talk to Mace Windu. He goes to narc on Palpatine, and he goes, hey, man, just so you know, Palpatine is Darth Sidious. And they're like, nah, we'd have known that. And he's like, no, stupid, I'm telling you now. They're like, all right, well, you stay here. And then in that four seconds, he goes, I think I'm going to kill some kids. And he makes, it's like a music cue, and he's like, like the the, the John Williams light bulb went off over his head, and he was just like, all right, well, uh, I'm going to go walk around in a balcony for a hot minute, and then I'm going to kill Mace Windu, or whoever. (laughs) Or whoever, whatever. Yes, to save my wife, yes. Um, Mm -hmm. We've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but since we're kind of drifting around characters and actors, who, who, I want each of you to kind of tell me, like, a favorite character or actor, they may be separate things in this movie, in this question for some reason but but who's a who's a character in the in the prequels that you really enjoyed seeing screen time with well i already said obi-wan kenobi uh Mm -hmm. mcgregor's performance and i'll stand by that i love him in these movies i think he's great but my i will say this uh because no one else will say it i hope i hope uh my favorite character because i love dumb characters in star wars that don't have any purpose and for me dexter jetster is the best oh my God. <laughs> character in the prequels he's this weird ernest borgnine diner owner who has yes. <laughs> it's so great he's got a mustache and it's made out of like crab shell it's so good <laughs> And it's this weird scene that has nothing to do with anything, and it's just so he can say cloners, and that's it. And so a robot. And that flow... scene is. I love that. And scene. that scene is cut out of the Phantom edits because oh. that storyline. Because that storyline, you want to talk about eighty percent filler? Oh sure. Sweet butter Jesus. Mm-hmm. It, and I get it. It has nothing to do with anything, but I love. That's one of those big swings I love. It's like. Uh, I didn't really care for Rise of Skywalker that much. It's a perfect 5 out of 10 TNT movie that dads will fall asleep to for years to come. But God help me, 
Babu Frick is my best friend. I will die mm. for Babu Frick. I love Babu Frick. <laughs> um, I'm so glad you brought up. I brought up that diner guy. Also, there's this really heavily implied relationship. His name relationship. is Dexter Jetster. So some so, respect. Dexter Jetster. Sorry. Uh, you know he's had like an adventure with Obi Wan. Maybe we'll get right? to see yeah. it someday. That's what I'm saying. Maybe he'll show yeah, up in the Obi Wan series. They have a checkered past. That's yes. for sure. Yes. Um, d- uh, David, what about you? Who's a character? that you you uh, love in these films i i agree that obi-wan um is probably the best fleshed out character out of the entire prequel um you know i mean ewan mcgregor does uh, a stellar job of of uh you know giving that character life as a as a full-on jedi and not just some uh you know hermit old man that's uh that's been on a desert planet for umpteen number of years Mm -hmm. um I actually really love Watto. Um, <laughs> and I think it's because he's such a gross exaggeration. Like, he's an over-the-top caricature. And uh, he's so unique. I mean, we don't see any other characters like him before or after. Well, yeah. We, you don't see any characters like him, really, until his return in uh, uh, in Revenge of the Sith. Right when uh, when he informs Anakin that he sold Shmi off. Oh, um, you mean attack attack of the clothes? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah attack yeah. of the clothes. There, um, there, there is that really lovely scene where he where he does tell him that, but he realizes who Anakin is and yeah, and, you know, yeah, that, that recognition. Annie? Yeah, mm-hmm. little Annie. Oh, mm-hmm. wow, you sprouted. Yeah. Oh. You got you got some money for me? Yeah, I, uh, maybe you, maybe you help me collect uh, some people owe me some money. I love yeah. I do love that yeah, he tries to get he tries to get Anakin to be his enforcer. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, you're a Jedi now. Maybe you got you know you got some muscle. And uh, and how credits. great would that have been for character building for Annie to be like for having a reason to maybe do some shady shit with some Jedi power. <laughs> right? I mean that would have been a that would have been a fun path to take for sure. Into it. Uh Ricky, what about you? I think I know what it's going to be. Qui-Gon Jin. Oh, Qui-Gon Jin. I'm going to be the turd in the punch bowl as much as I <laughs> enjoy uh you and McGregor. I think he's incredibly one note and not fleshed out as a character. His trajectory throughout two films, because you can't tell me Obi-Wan Kenobi exists in Phantom Menace, is the same character from beginning to end, except for, you were the chosen one, Annie! Like, he's all like, mmm, pulling my beard, mmm, smell the fart acting. Like, I get that he was very he was very close to what Alex Guinness brought. I want to see the conflict that a young man that then becomes Alex Guinness based on the stuff he's seen then becomes not that he is just the same kind of monotone and reserved character. Wait, 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 wait. Now, Qui-Gon Jinn exists in a very monotone, stroking my beard, Jedi way. Agreed, but I only get one movie with him, Okay. and I wanted to see more. What I'm saying is Ewan McGregor, I think, is playing, is doing an impression, Mm -hmm. um, almost like an SNL impression of Alec Guinness, 
And like I said, I don't think he's... I think that's a mistake in Phantom Menace is that he doesn't exist to question mm. Qui-Gon, mm-hmm. to question Qui-Gon more. He does every... T- like, when they are together, yeah. he's like, are you sure, Qui-Gon? Like, I don't... Is this what the council would want? There was there was a um, real missed opportunity to have a lot of back and forth play between him as a Padawan and him as a master, and they they just didn't spend the time with it. Yeah, yeah. For then, what would have been interesting, whether or not you have Qui Gon as Anakin's dad or not, for then when Obi Wan is in the position of now master, seeing a lot of the questionable traits in Anakin that his master Qui Gon had, and going, okay, well can I direct this in a way to where, you know, Qui-Gon was still a good Jedi and had some of these questionable things. Um, yeah, I enjoy Ewan McGregor cause I think he is one of the better actors. I, f- I am really hoping for a Kenobi, uh, television series to really see some different sides of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although now that you mention it, like I would love a Qui-Gon series. I understand Liam Neeson is really expensive, so that's not happening, but (laughs) that would be very interesting to me. Um, Mm. I want to give a shout out to Ian McDiarmid. I, I never get tired. I, I I was not a huge fan of rise of Skywalker, but I, it was, I love seeing the emperor. Uh, I just, I just love, and, and, and I just love, I just love the emperor. I just really do. I love the guy that Vader has to kneel to. Um, so it was it was mm-hmm. interesting to see kind of his power play throughout the movies, um, even though it, it could have been written far better. There is that really great shot in Attack of the Clones where all the Jedi are sitting on one side and he's sitting on the other. And I mean, that's that shot is very heavy handed, but I still enjoy it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I loved that we got more Ian McDiarmid out of out of this. Um, I probably could have done without his. Uh lightsaber duel yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think i think that's the only hole in his performances that that i see because i i know that a portion of it is also a stunt double mm-hmm. um oh, yeah. and uh and it, i i mean just from my point of view i can i can tell that he's not you know well, well versed in doing yeah. all of that action well and even like like his fight with Mace Windu, I, I remember seeing an interview with George Lucas, and he's like, "These two people are extraordinarily powerful, and and they move very fast. So we're going to do a lot of close-ups when they're not yeah. hopping around, and it's all about the close-ups." Uh, I you know, eat both my like, actors uh, are old and can't move fast. Yeah, yeah, yep, they cannot. Blair. Um. <laughs> Name something, this was a question I threw out to all of you. Name something the prequels did that surprised you in a good way. <laughs> uh, I um, can go first. I can go first uh, if you need a moment. I was going to say uh, the score. Oh. I think the score, uh, especially the Phantom Menace score, are, is uh, Duel of Fates is arguably one of the best oh, John yeah. Williams pieces of all time. Um, and it's in service of one of the best lightsaber fights that they've had in the series. Like to go into it and to 
for a guy to have not been involved in the series in such a long time and to have done other stuff to just easily slide right back into that world and that music and nail it so good. The music in the trilogy is, uh, the prequel trilogy is fantastic. And it's all of a piece with uh, the original trilogy score. Yeah, I think, uh, and it just made me think of maybe something that I don't often uh, put to Phantom Menace is that score is so like cathedral, mm-hmm. you know, with the vocal, with actually having the, the vocals in it. And I never thought about the Jedi Council being Mount Olympus. Hmm. Yeah. And kind of having a Clash of the Titans vibe. But now that I think of it, I think maybe that is what one of the struggles is with the prequels is uh, Lucas wanting to tell this old kind of Greek mythology story of these gods losing their powers or being challenged by humans, which, I mean, ends up being just the dark side, versus this political story he wants to tell. And then, though, like, not finding a way to, like, blend those. Mm. That and not enough Bubo the Robot Owl. Yeah. Or Burgess Meredith. Yeah, of course. Well. (laughs) Um, Uh, The portrayals of what the Jedi are supposed to be like in their, you know, thousands, uh, you know, a thousand years uh, worth of training and uh, and expertise, I think... uh, the exploration of what their powers were, um, you know, with things like uh, the Force Dash and um, the, the things that we saw immediately in the first uh, in Phantom Menace. Um, like I said, there were there were big swings, and I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, "Oh, okay, I didn't think that we were going to see something like that." And uh, and then they're just hitting you in the face like right away. Yeah, with uh, with the diversity um that these jedi had that you heard about but you never got to see in the original trilogy mm-hmm. so um I, I think you know i mean i was i was a uh, 18 when it came out well, we don't need to talk about age we don't need and, to talk about <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean as a you know as a high mm-hmm. school kid going to going to see it and and loving the star wars lore and um you know having so many friends that were were big fans uh along with it uh along with me you know to like get pumped up and go see it on opening night and and all of that stuff and then to see the the jedi in full force doing their jedi things was mm-hmm. uh you know i mean it was it was uh something that when i look back on, on them like when i watch it with my kid or like i still kind of get nostalgic about it. i'm like dang look at these they're these are jedi you know, <laughs> um, something, you know, speaking of like things we didn't expect to see, um, this is kind of a dark answer, but um, nestled in Attack of the Clones is is the scene where he goes to find his mother mm. and and, you know, she's been kidnapped by the sand people. And like I'm watching the movie and I'm like, are they are they kind of implying that they like took this woman and are like are like. I don't know, like raping her or like beating mm. the shit out of her or something. Like, what are they, what are they doing with his mom? And like, you find her like tied up to this thing and it's like, Oh wow. They're, they're kind of implying some really creepy stuff. Like, like when you, like when you watch a new hope and it's like, Oh, they burned his house down. And it's like, wait, no, they, they burned his uncle. And yeah. his aunt, uncle Owen too. Like you, it's like the subtle horror sometimes exists in star Wars. Mm. And like that scene was just kind of put in there and it's like, Oh, this is, 
this is horrible. I, I see why he's killing everybody now. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, and that's another well, example of, like, not going far enough in that thing. Because it's just like Order 66. He gets all mad, and he cuts himself out of that hut, and he's like, I'm going to kill all the, all the Tusken Raiders. And he, like, cuts one down, and then, like, they cut away. And then later on, he's like, mm-hmm. I killed them all, and I'm sad. And it's just like... Shh. And she's like... And she's like, oh my god, I've never been hotter for you than right now. Oh god, the love. Oh god. Can I ask can I ask the question that um first popped in my head? It was the not even the scroll. It was the first time that I questioned uh the prequels when I went and saw it as a kid, was why are these Jedi's wearing the poor people clothes? that obi-wan kenobi was wearing when he was hiding out so no one would know who he is you know i didn't even think of that ricky like when i watched the movie i was like oh i guess these are jedi robes but now you bring up a great point why is obi-wan wearing the thing that will easily identify him (laughs) (laughs) to anybody oh are you a jedi (laughs) are you a jedi you got the robes yeah hey weren't you here Uh, like 20 years ago with that little kid? Yeah. I saw you at the Bunta Eve race, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you didn't. You didn't see me. I mean, the, the, Yo, yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. The thing that, like, had me questioning Lucas was when the Nemoidians started talking, yep. and I was like, what? <laughs> but, but here's the thing is, I... Uh, they look so similar to the two um, ambassadors, council people that the Emperor has at the end of Return of the Jedi that when they started talking, I was just so entranced with, oh, they look familiar or I feel like I've seen them before. So I was kind of into it. <laughs> it wasn't, I think, I think it finally registered then when Jar Jar mm. and then the Gungans and then definitely when Watto, Watto like solidified. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, I see what you're doing. Song of the South. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're going to be owned by Disney one day. I can tell. Yeah. Oh my oh. God. Wow. I did not expect a song of the South reference. In this song podcast. of the South fours. You're welcome. Oh my God. Thing oh. that I liked was the, uh, Darth Maul. I mean, I know that's the that's the diamond in the rough that some people say. Just the the pure. I know it's a contradiction then between Obi Wan Kenobi or how the fight sequences played out in the original, but just his like sonic boom martial arts training with that double ended lightsaber. I was like, okay. This is new and different, and it doesn't, it's not a contradiction, and it doesn't make me feel completely like you're slighting the original movies. Mm. Yeah, it plus. Now, there can only be two at one time, there being only two Sith. That's a different story, but. Plus, Darth Maul just looks awesome. Mm hmm. Yeah, as far as villains are concerned, he's definitely high up on the hierarchy.
since you brought it up, Ricky, so this is kind of a two-part question. Um, which movie has the best lightsaber duel, and who has the best lightsaber? Because we see a lot of different lightsabers in this in the prequels, more so than we do any of the other films. Uh, you said best, right? So I can't say Count Dooku worst in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, rest in peace, Christopher Lee. I hope that paycheck was huge. And I like uh, Duel of the Fates. I, I really like that. There are some things that I would have liked to have maybe done differently with uh, Obi-Wan being trapped and not being able to be in the fight. And maybe some different things that Qui-Gon would have done to possibly... I don't know. I don't want Qui-Gon to die. But if he is going to... If the story progressing is that Obi-Wan is questioning Qui-Gon's methods, is maybe Qui-Gon then sacrifices himself by not doing a dirty trick or something? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's still something, I think, storytelling that could have been better. But that's a that's a pretty cool scene, especially with that score. Yeah. And so Darth, Darth Maul lightsaber. I love his lightsaber. Oh, uh, the double-bladed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, you are a uh, sword master. What is, what's your thought on this? Um, I, I'd have to agree. I mean, Ray Park is the only martial artist in the entire series that that wields a lightsaber, um, and it and it shows through uh, mm-hmm. during during that during that fight. Um, Do you know his martial arts training? Do you know what his training is? Uh, I, he's, he's a black belt in several arts. I, I, I don't know them off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's very apparent Mm -hmm. when, when he wields the lightsaber, like how skillful he is with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I think I enjoyed that, that sequence the most because it also is the most character driven uh movement hmm. um when uh i know that when i put together put together sequences and fight choreography so much of the movement is determined by the characters by not only their physical abilities but where they are in a headspace uh it's always been said to me that uh fight itself is the culmination of a lot of emotions so a fight doesn't break out when people are happy usually um you know uh or or they're content there's a there's a number of things that have to happen in order for people to come to violence so and and for them to agree that violence is the actual action that needs to take place um so there's a there's been so much build up during the entire film for them to finally get to that to that moment uh, oh, that no. it, it solidifies itself like for me as mm-hmm. uh, um, as as the best fight uh, I mean as far as uh, you know abilities c- are concerned too like when you watch some some of the other uh, lightsaber duels so much of it is taken over by computer graphics uh, so much of it is taken over by the uh, by the stunt doubles um, doing so much of the movement and it's it's really apparent that it's not the actors um, we're 
you lose a, a I think a sense of that character's inner monologue mm-hmm. um, when you have uh, when you get a separation of of those two things um, because uh, as good performers they allow their emotions to exude through their action um, and uh, and we lose a little bit of that uh, also I think it's it's the best shot mm. uh, in that the dynamics of it and utilizing their uh, you know their surroundings um, and like forcing a lot of their abilities out uh, you know comes to play and there's a lot of two shots there's a lot of wide shots especially because there's three of them um, uh, so cinematically I think it's it's done the best as well I think they uh, did a disservice to a lot of the other fights by having them up close and doing that you know punched in crap yeah uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know I mean and and Star Wars isn't unique in uh, in you know doing that uh, there are plenty of other films out there that, uh, that try and hide the inability of their actors by punching in and making it all about their face and stuff I think you're I think you're right. I think it's the I think it's the only I think it's the only fight without any CGI. Like I mean I mean there is some CGI, sorry, but I, like the characters themselves are not um CGI'd. Uh, right? Yeah. Like uh, I know the the fight between Obi-Wan and Anakin at the very end on Mustafa uh, on uh not Mustafar. Mustafar. On Mustafar. Mustafar. Part, parts of that, I like when he like kicks Obi Wan and he like does a, like a super high flip back. I, that's got to be CGI. There's there's, uh, n- there's a possibility it might be some wire work. Okay. Um, but uh, I think I think there's very little uh, CGI performers in ah. that in, in that film. There, I mean, there's obviously a lot of computer graphic stuff going on. Right. Um, but and uh, but I think it's also. Uh, you know, there's a lot of like flourish in mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, none of the fights are perfect. Like the force fields that show up that are blatantly there to divide, you know, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor from from Ray Park. I mean, that's the whole purpose of those force fields. <laughs> right. um, is is a plot. So, device. Greg, I'm wondering. Why did you? Uh, why are we getting? Why are we building force fields around this giant hole in the ground? Why, why are you fighting him through this hallway, Liam? Why, we just wait. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, but I. I yeah. I, I think I agree with both of you. I think it's probably the best. Uh, Mark, what about you? What I think I know your answer, but what is what is who who has the best lightsaber and what which movie has the best duel? Uh, I mean, best duel, duel of fates. Uh, everyone, everyone else is saying, I'll say it. Uh, it's fantastic. It's it's just a great fight, top to bottom, uh, and it's the fight with the most clearly human people and not rubbery CGI creations flip flopping around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that I, I do appreciate that. Best lightsaber is a toughie. I ugh, ugh. I don't particularly care for the character or that they digitally plastered his ghost face on a stuntman's body, but Count Dooku's curved-handled lightsaber is super <laughs> rad. Yeah, that's supposedly... A, I, th- I thought I remember hearing that was a Christopher Lee request that it was supposed to lean more into his fencing skill set. Uh, I actually have an answer for that. Ooh, um, I would love to hear So, uh, So Christopher Lee uh, did fence at one point, 
and the uh, the curved handle is actually a reference to what's known as a French grip um, for uh, for fencing, and so it uh, it yeah it exactly it 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 uh, it's supposed to line your index finger up um, better. What is it's that? It's super cool. Yeah, it is really cool. I mean, I bought one at Toys R Us. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've I've held it. It actually does mimic a French grip fairly well, um, as far as uh, using point work. Hmm. Uh, it it's uh, it works great, um, but obviously the utilization of a saber is a little bit more than just pokey pokey. Right, <laughs> uh, Ricky, you mentioned you had you had seen what, what was Ray Park's training in? What did you find? Uh, well, Ray Park was introduced to martial arts via his father, who was a huge fan of Bruce Lee, and had him uh, start training in the traditional Chinese Northern Shaolin Kung Fu when he was seven years old. He added wushu to his hobbies by age of 14. Good Lord. Wow. Damn. Yep. So he then went to... He won... Uh, at 16, he won Great Britain's Martial Arts National Championship for his class and then went to Malaysia to try to improve his skills. Okay, well, he did very well. <laughs> I wish He don't mess around! He don't mess around. Um, awesome. Well, here's another question I wanted to throw out to all of you. Um, just talking about these movies specifically on the big screen, was there a sequence in the prequels that you... Because Star Wars is known for being a, a, a fantastic event to watch on the big screen. What what event in the prequels really grabbed your attention when you saw it on the big screen? And maybe it doesn't translate now to our homes quite as well. Oh, the pod race. Yeah. Yeah, hand, hands down the pod race. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull my, my nerd card out <laughs> real quick and, and, and flex on it real fast. I actually saw Phantom Menace three times on opening day. <laughs> On opening day, you wow, saw it. Okay. Now, which time did you go? Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, probably halfway through the second time. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, well, so the the first time that I saw it, it was at a twelve oh one showing. You know, I, it was madness. People are dressed up. They're like cheering at every possible moment. I, I honestly don't even know what really happened <laughs> during the first watching of it. I just, I just know specifically that the pod race and the and the lightsaber battle were the two things that that stuck out for me mm-hmm. in each watching of it. I mean, the the third one, I'd been up for like 24 hours by the time I'd seen the third one, and I fell asleep uh, when they are uh, traveling through the center of uh, uh, center of the planet, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then, you know, woke back up. But I remember being wide awake for the pod race and for the, the lightsaber battle. So what a, by the way, what a great set piece to to set up, you know, the the center of the planet is dangerous to travel through, but we're going to get through it pretty easily, except for this fish. <laughs> when we're done, it's done. Good yeah. job. Uh, uh, Mark, what about you? Uh, I would probably say the opening space battle from Revenge of the Sith. Oh yeah, it's, a fun it's such a great sequence. You get and what what I love. One of the things I do love about the prequels is you see the 
sort of starfighters as they slowly evolve into TIE fighters and or X-Wings. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the Jedi starfighter is very clearly just a TIE fighter with an X-Wing nose on it. And it's so cool. And just all the... It's such a great spectacle sequence because the, there's so much going on in the background as well. Mm-hmm. Just capital ships getting blowed up. There's the vulture droids and the little buzz droids. and mm. That whole sequence top to bottom from like the beginning of the movie is so much fun. It's the, it, it, it's the most like... Uh, like it made me feel like a little kid again. I, R2 has a battle. R2 gets a battle in, in this, in this <laughs> approach to the ship. With the bus sure. droids. Well, in the prequels, R2 was treated as a Swiss army droid. Right. And was able to do anything the plot required. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Let's not talk about that. Just because you brought it up, is that the best space battle in all nine movies? No. Ooh. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I just it's close. I think it's close. Uh, I, I mean, uh, well, you know. I have a I friend. Who, I have a friend who swears up and down that that is the best battle in. I will say space this, battle. I mean, space battle. I gotta say, technically, the Rogue One battle isn't in space; it's all on the ground. So yeah, actually, I will say it's the best space battle. Oh, interesting. Mm. All right, all right, Ricky. What about you? I'm going to uh, yeah, it's probably pod racing, but one that I really enjoyed because I went into Episode Two with so much hope because George Lucas was like, yeah, or I I assumed. Lucas was like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I messed up in that last movie. But like an abusive relationship, he was like, baby, I ain't going to hurt you this time. I'm going to treat you nice. (laughs) And so in episode two, when it starts off as kind of a film noir, and Obi and Anakin are going into the bar, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you are straight up ripping off some Ridley Scott Blade Runner right now. Or trying to. Mm -hmm. But... I felt there was a sense of hope in that scene that this movie might be a little bit more grounded and a little bit more intimate. Um, then when they killed Sam, uh, was it Sam Wazell? Sam Wessel? The bounty hunter? The bounty yeah. hunter. Yeah, yeah. Wessel. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, even then I was still I was like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, they're setting up some mystery. Uh, just all of that, I was like, oh, there's maybe, there's maybe some real hope for this film. Now, yeah, the spectacle in pod racing was amazing. But again, exploring the world in kind of another version of a CD bar that was very late 90s, kind of techno-y. Mm. Um, I don't know. I kind of dug. It was a little different. But then that was short-lived. I, I... Getting to see, like, planet side of Coruscant is great. Like, the ground Mm. level of Coruscant Mm -hmm. was such a cool thing initially. I love that that whole, like, speeder chase through Coruscant. It's a lot of fun. You get John Williams adding electric guitar to the orchestra. It's so much fun. Um, uh, But, yeah, it's just... And then, was it Elias Sleazebagano shows up, and he's like, Hey, you want to buy some death sticks? (laughs) I don't want to buy some death sticks. I want to go home. Yeah. (laughs) I think think that was also a great sequence to kind of reestablish how uh, the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, the amount of learning that Anakin has done under Obi-Wan's tutelage, how much his powers have grown. Like, it was a great kind of way of easing in a lot of exposition without actually having to be like, oh, look at these things. and Yeah, 
there's a sense of like a Batman and Robin, especially like 66 Batman and Robin, where the pilot where Batman has to go into this bar and he tells Robin to stay out in the Batmobile and Batman gets his orange juice spiked. It has a lot of that like little buddy kind of sense, except for unfortunately Hayden Christensen can't pull off Robin. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Well, um, I, here's a question real quick uh, re- yeah. regarding regarding that. Do you think uh, how much of the acting was the actor's fault? I, I would love to take a stab at this first. Um, I, I'm not very familiar with Hayden Christensen's filmography, and I had not heard of him before Star Wars, but that's kind of irrelevant. Um, but he is, he is better in episode three than he is in episode two. Like, he, he has grown as an actor. He's still not great. Um, so I think, I think he was acting in a big movie well before he should have been. Um, I mean, the writing is horrible. The writing is really bad, but at least you and McGregor and Liam Neeson and Sam Jackson and Ian McDermott, like all these, all these accomplished actors, can do something with it. They can't save it, but they can do something with it. But there are times where he just, he just doesn't do anything with it. And I, I mean, it's it is hard to tell whether that is him or whether he's being directed at that. But I'd actually, I don't like Natalie Portman, and I usually like Natalie Portman. But the more I watch the prequels, I like her less and less. Um, and I. I think that's probably a result of Lucas and the writing than her, but um, yeah, I don't know. What? What? That's a great question. What do you? What do you all think about Hayden Christensen and his? Is it him? Well, I mean, I I agree of Natalie Portman. Um, it's hard. Lucas is. If you've heard anybody uh, who has been directed by him, he says slower, faster, louder, softer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's his directing. Uh, I think the one of the biggest hindrances, and you just mentioned with Hayden from episode two to episode three is the redunculous leap of having Anakin be a child in episode one and then be Hayden Christensen in episode two. He is having a real tough actor's challenge of having to remind us that the last time we saw this character, he was a child, mm. like a kind of, and he isn't even as whiny as a child as he is as Anakin in episode two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. the other actor they were going to have was maybe Leonardo DiCaprio Ugh. with an, with an absentee director. Does Leo put out a better performance and there's a better chemistry with you and McGregor? Mm. Probably. No. Yeah. I think I, I generally in cases like this, I, I usually side with the actor and I think, the director and and the script probably aren't as as good. The thing with Hayden Christensen is I don't think he's a strong enough actor to elevate bad material like a mm. like a Liam Neeson or Ewan McGregor or Sam Jackson. Agreed. That's a great way to point Agreed. that. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, but I will point. say this: prior to the Star Wars movies coming out, he had been in a a movie called Life as a House with Kevin Klein, where he played his kind of bratty teenage goth son, and he's actually really great in it. And he also did a movie post Star Wars called Shattered Glass. Shattered Glass played, is great, and he's so good in it. Mm-hmm. Like he is a good actor. So I'm. But he also did Little Italy, okay. with Emma Roberts, where he is awful, but the material is awful. Exactly. Right. Uh, but you know what? The black hair dye they give him in that movie, <laughs> glorious. <laughs> I like that we all agree that we don't think he's that good. 
but the three of us besides Chris were able to like pull out some like yeah. Hayden Christensen gems. <laughs> I think uh, I, I love what you said, Mark. Like he's he's not good enough to elevate bad material. At least mm-hmm. then. And now he probably hopefully now it well, well he did that other anymore. film Leaper, right? That's right. Jumper. Oh, jumper, excuse me. Oh jumper, yeah. Yeah, jumper. jumper. Well, um I so I just wanted to touch back on on what Chris was saying regarding Natalie Portman. Uh, I think that I mean she's obviously very accomplished, very talented, um, and that I don't know if maybe some of her performances were lost on the editing room floor, or if uh, you know Lucas just didn't know how to like properly communicate to her um, some of the stuff. But I also know that the material that she was working with was you know. I, I think character-wise, she has dealt. I think she's dealt the same shit sandwich, just even from character, not even just the the dialogue, or the directing. Is she has to go from who I think her performance in Phantom is is fine, who then falls in love with this small child <laughs> in the next movie, yeah. right? Where I think there are complexities to that. That even if you're going to do that, that's very hard to play if you don't have a good director or a good vision from the director. Where her character, I think she's doing her own actor's work, where she is very motherly mm. to Anakin. That's why the sexual chemistry doesn't really feel to be there. Right. Is that she looks at Anakin as being one of... Uh, like a little as brother? As if she were still the queen. Well, little brother, or that she's still the queen. Ah, uh, I see, like and a subject. she's one of... He, yeah, he's one of her people that she has to really look out for. Mm. And she thinks, okay, what's the best for him? Oh, he wants a romantic relationship, so I'll give that to him because that'll serve him the best in his journey and in his quest. Oh, interesting. I never would have but again, uh, pictured her as I like her giving into the relationship as like a form of servitude. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, that's what I think it is, but again... <laughs> The shit sandwich is a hard like one to bite through. Well, and I think that they uh, kind of backed themselves into a corner with the initial film by giving them such a drastic uh, age difference by having Jake Lloyd. And visually, yeah. Well, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Visually, I mean, I mean, that's... you know, Natalie Portman's a woman in the first one. Yeah, she's she's not you know she's not 14 or whatever. Well, she well, is and then, 14. And then Hayden, well, but... and then Hayden Christensen is playing that version of that kid right like which comes off when when adults play children not to be indelicate they come off as having mental uh disabilities and so him being whiny and kind of playing that kid but there's nothing about his portrayal that makes you go oh Amadala would love this. Yeah, right. She'd be turned on by this. Well, the first time that he sees Amadala in Attack of the Clones, he like walks in and he's just like leering at her. Yeah, he, it's yeah. it's gross. <laughs> Obi's like Obi looks at him and he's like, "Dude, cool it." Yeah, it's not subtle. Everyone knows what you're doing, Anakin, and it's creepy. He's got a raging lightsaber, you know, (laughs) full blast in his robe. Uh, Well, I mean, there's actually even a line that she says when they go on on holiday. I guess uh, when they go back, (laughs) (laughs) when they go uh, when they go back to, um, uh, you know, the the retreat home that she has. Uh, Now, why wasn't that story? a reverse Leon in the professional, which she had already been in where he thinks he has to protect her. Right. And she ends up protecting him. Yeah. Cause she's a bad, oh, that would have been brilliant. That would have been so that's much more interesting opportunity. Um, yeah. 
So uh, I have two questions left. The last one's kind of a big question, so uh, I'll ask it in a second. But I want to circle around to something you brought up near the beginning of the discussion, David. You said you said the that the prequels are your second favorite mm. as far as the tri- trilogies go. So I'm assuming the original trilogy is your favorite, and the yes. sequel trilogy is third. Mm-hmm. Um, how why does the why does the prequels trilogy beat out the sequel trilogy for you? Um, I think because the reintroduction of Phantom Menace uh, I mean I'm, I'm going just probably pr- purely off nostalgia the the reintroduction mm-hmm. of Phantom Menace uh, and Star Wars to a world uh, for me was such a such a huge thing obviously like I said I watched it three times on opening day mm-hmm. um, and to see the background the, the backstory to so many of these characters that I loved uh, growing up uh i think i give it a little bit more um a little bit more leeway in its in its poor execution just because i understand so much of the psychology behind it the latest trilogy i for the life of me i cannot get behind um they they have unfortunately fallen short on so many levels uh, in my eyes, um, not only as individual films, but as a trilogy as a whole, I, I don't think they, um, they've elevated the, they elevated the, the, I don't think they were very good additions to the Star Wars lore. Hmm. Um, but you know, no, I, that, I, 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 I partially agree with you actually. Like I I have a hard time ranking these two trilogies. They both they both commit errors, um but I I think the sequel trilogy commits some sins that uh the prequels do not um mm. so that they they're almost on par for me but for different reasons. And we kind of touched on this a little bit in Rise of Skywalker, but um yeah, I I, I was just curious why you said that. So. Yeah, that that's uh like, like I said, I I love everything Star Wars, you know, like mm-hmm. I I am a I am a fan, I am a believer. Uh I um that also comes with its pitfalls, right? It like that gives me huge margins for disappointment. Um <laughs> when when things don't go away that you know, maybe I could better justify. Um I I think that trying you know being a fan of film too like kind of puts you in a a precarious position because there's such a unique um like star wars kind of stands alone Mm -hmm. uh as far as like a genre or or a a watching experience is concerned Mm -hmm. um so you know you to try and compare it to so many other things uh you're you're bound to see all of the flaws um but also you kind of hold it at such a high standard um you know and i i think that i can say that for all of us that star wars kind of is a is a benchmark it's a milestone um for cinematic experiences
so here's kind of our final question. It's a, it is a partially two-parter question, uh, but this, this might be a big discussion, so I saved it for last. Um, name something you would change about the prequels and name something that you would not. And it, it can be as big or as insignificant either thing as, as you want. So I'm, I'm expecting that diner guy to survive. Uh, <laughs> he damn well better. <laughs> and his name is Dexter, Dexter Jackson. Jackson. I, that's yes. what I'm walking away with this. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, okay, I would say uh, the one thing that I, I would keep uh, would just be the action in general. Uh, I think all the action in the movies is done, uh, for the most part, very well. Uh, I know that there's some limitations with some of the ages of the characters and the the limits of CGI at the time. Uh, but for the most part, I think the action is all just very well done, and therefore I'd keep all that. The one thing I would change is this. Episode 1 and Episode 2 are now combined and are just Episode 1. Episode 3 becomes Episode 2. The new Episode 3 is Order 66, and it is just a whole movie of Darth Vader rolling through the galaxy, fighting Jedi left and right. That's that's the big thing that we're missing is mm. it's glossed over. Mm. It, it it's literally a one minute scene of a bunch of Jedi yep. being unceremoniously shot in the back by literal cartoons. Mm. Like faceless oh. faceless monsters. And you know what you do is you have Darth Vader put together the first iteration of the Knights of Ren. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. To do it. To accomplish it, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And you see his milit you see his military mind too. Right. He is yeah. a general. You don't really see. Yes. Right. So. And you you know, you get a, a there's a very like brief scene in Rogue One, right? Where you see Darth Vader as Darth Vader at the height of Darth Vader, right? And he walks onto that Carillion Corvette and he just tears shit up and it's awesome. Well, it's- it's awesome, but it, uh, yeah, I mean that would be a Rogue One discussion. Save it for yeah. Rogue so he One. turns, he turns off his chest plate, so you can't see him in the dark until his lightsaber comes on, and then he tears through those guys, and then immediately steps into New Hope and just force chokes a dude and physically grabs him. He's tired. Was he tired he was, from he was, the walk? He was tired. From the walk he just had. He was tired. He was tired. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> mechanical limitations. It's been. It's badass, but it doesn't. Yeah. Right. I'm just saying, like, that. Uh, there, there's a whole movie there of just that yes. guy in that suit mm-hmm. just wailing on Jedi left and right. Why are you waiting to put him in the suit in the last minute? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then having poor James Earl Jones have to go, no. No. Uh, David, what about <laughs> you? What would, what, what would be something you would change and something you would keep? Uh, something I would change uh, would definitely be, uh, I, I agree with what Mark said. I would love to have seen more of Darth Vader doing Darth Vader things. Uh, I also think a big change would have been seeing more of the Clone Wars, uh, like Ricky kind of touched on earlier. Uh, I think that's a huge lost opportunity um, for storytelling, for character development, for world building. Um, for everything that you know, we really kind of like love Star Wars for. Um, something I would keep. Uh, um, I like Jake Lloyd. Really, I yeah, think that's fair. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I would change. Um, 
that's so interesting. I, but what do you change? Do you change the actor or do you change his age? I change his age. I, I truly have yeah, no. I agree with that. I truly, I'll agree with that. I, I would I, yeah. like. I'll go. I would love to answer this. I have. I have no idea why Lucas started Anakin's story so young. Like I don't know if he was looking at the numbers and was like, well, if I'm gonna make Obi Wan this age, Anakin has to be ten or whatever. Like I don't. No, I don't it's know the, why. It's the, Ew- it's the Ewok theory. Yeah, he did it because he well, because, made that movie for kids. Because oh. Obi Wan's. Obi-Wan's age does not cry. I mean, you were talking about before about faults of sins of the other movie. I think it's sins when the guy who created the whole damn thing forgets and doesn't rewatch his original movies and makes a bunch of inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. So like Obi-Wan's age does not track between Revenge of the Sith to New Hope. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. He suddenly becomes Alec Guinness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just not even looks mm-hmm. just Age. Yeah, he yeah. goes yeah. from 30 to 70 in like 15 years. Well, we yeah. know yeah. that he has a very poor understanding of how age is in the original iteration of Phantom Menace and the puppeteer, uh, the puppet of Yoda and how That's young, oh, how yeah. young it looked. I, I mean, <sighs> yeah, if but no, to answer Jake Lloyd, the reason why, yeah, I think it's numbers. I think he Ewoked it. And so the change from Wookiees to Ewoks was a teenage brooder. Luke, basically, because we've already seen Luke, but what we didn't see was what if we saw Luke as a kid? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I agree. Change it. Don't. I mean, yeah. he, don't make him a kid. It, it's. I mean, it's weird. It's like I remember sitting down to watch Phantom Menace. Not even to sit down, but like when I when I heard the synopsis, I was like, "We're gonna see Darth Vader as a child." That seems a little weird. Okay. So the but. the reason why I actually keep Jake Lloyd like mm-hmm. um, because I don't fault him for his performance as mm-hmm. as the actor because I think it's a lot more interesting if we see somebody that's cheerful and hopeful uh, as a young kid and then to transition into the most fearsome person in the galaxy I think is a better story so I I think as a as a starting point I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, like many other things, the execution is kind of poor. Yeah. My change and keep actually coexist. Um, I keep Qui-Gon Jinn as a character. Most people want to keep Darth Maul. I keep him as a character throughout the trilogy and I have him take over. Uh, so I keep him and I change Dooku as being Qui-Gon Jinn. So then at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, you really want to rock some people on their socks. You have Anakin, Hedge Clipper, Qui-Gon's head in front of Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of Dooku. (laughs) And it means so much more. And you get to play with the, you're not even changing the story that much. You have Qui-Gon be Dooku because I think it's questionable if Dooku is bad in Attack of the Clones anyway. Because he's saying, I'm doing what I'm doing because I think it's right, as most powerful people do, who may end up being wrong. But have that be Qui-Gon, who's a little questionable in Phantom Menace anyway, that he sees some errors in the Jedi, that he thinks they're going to an absolute path that isn't so great? Because Mace Windu definitely deals in absolutes. Mm. Right. Um. Uh, so I think he has this subsect of like, I, I got to course correct what's going on and he's not evil and he's not bad, but he is able, the emperor is able to manipulate Anakin then to the beginning of revenge of the Sith into thinking that he is the, 
the person who's been puppeteering everything bad that's been going on. Mm. And then Obi-Wan's like, no, 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 no. They're still good in, good at him and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, cha-cha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, Ricky, that's such an interesting change that I would love to see. <laughs> I 100% agree. Oh, my God. That's so interesting. Uh, but let it happen in episode two so episode three can be Order 66. Thank you. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, do okay. it. Make it so. <laughs> Make it so. Let's go film that, guys. <laughs> um, so... We're near the end here. I've got to wrap this up. Is there anything anything you all want to say about the prequels? Wait, Chris, you know? we didn't hear what you said you wanted to keep. Uh... Wow. <laughs> he doesn't want to keep anything. You heard it here first. Uh, I would I would keep the action sequences. Um, the, the action sequences really do well. I, I yeah, I, I'd pull off a, I'd pull back a little bit on the CGI characters. It gets a little too matrixy at times. Mm. If they could fix some of that, but I think the intent of the action sequences and that space battle in Revenge of the Sith is a lot of fun. All I'll say about the action action sequences are uh, they fall in the same trap as a lot of the rest of the movie is there uh, George Lucas didn't have someone telling him or questioning him because you can listen to the commentary on uh, Attack of the Clones episode two where he explains the whole reason to have the Django Fett scene is just to show off his suit mm-hmm. and all the things it could yeah. do, which contradicts what he said about everything in the original series, which was, Oh, people live with these things. We shouldn't spend too much time on the technology. Right. Like it's, it's so commonplace for everyone. That's the one thing they get wrong in science fiction. And then, so many years later, he's like, toys? Yes, yeah, show off everything. I, You know, just to, to piggyback off that, I don't know why he did the prequels. Like, I don't know what within George Lucas was like, I should do these. Because he doesn't, like, post the original trilogy, I think he was done and hated Star Mo- Wars. And, and Money, 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 but money. He but he could have done them and just been the ideas guy and hired a director like he did with Empire. Or even Jedi. So there's... I think there's ego. Yeah, and there's also that apocryphal story, and I don't know if it's true or not, that's gone around that originally George Lucas's plan was that the prequels were going to be shot with two directors. One director to work with the actors, and George was going to act as the director who did all the special effects and the, like, action, stuff like that. And it came down to, like, a fight between, A, the Directors Guild, who wouldn't allow two directors on a film at the same time back in the day, and two, uh, the directors that he asked, including Steven Spielberg, said, no, man, it's your movie. You do it. And so all his friends fed his bullshit ego, and he was like, yeah, that's right. I can do it. Womp, womp, womp. And I, I, I also heard, um, and I, I wish I remember her, her name, and I can't remember where I found her, uh, a very close assistant to George Lucas, who worked uh, at Lucas Ranch, who read the original treatments for the first three scripts before they went in production for Phantom Menace. And she said a lot of it did not translate into the final script or the film, into the uh, shooting script. That there was a lot of great ideas and better execution in those original scripts somehow 
for some reason he changed them then when he decided to make them. So, I mean, if you want to see George Lucas's hubris on full display, watch the making of Phantom Menace on oh. the DVD. Yeah, it's God. bananas. <laughs> he sends all these guys to build a Jar Jar Binks suit for Ahmed Best to wear, and they spend all this time working on it. And then at the last minute, he walks in. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this, and he goes, "Nah, I think we're just gonna do it digitally." All right, you figure that out. Bye. And you can see a, a whole room of people's like life flash before their eyes. I it's, think someone threw up in the corner. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. So, so if you, I, go ahead, Mark. Sorry, no. Finish, well, and, finish and, and this will go into sort of, I think, this final question about the prequels is I think the my, my big thing with the prequels is, again, it, they're movies of ideas with, with uh, for the most part, kind of piss poor uh uh, what's the word? Execution. Um, if I was going to, like, I would label the three trilogies like chips. So, like, the original trilogy is, like, a perfect, like, Ruffles all-dressed chip. It's the perfect chip. Nothing can be changed from this chip. It's delicious. The prequel trilogy is, to me, like, Funyuns. Like, it's tasty for a minute, but then your mouth starts to hurt. <laughs> and then... The sequel, the the sequel trilogy, uh, are like Pringles. In which case, they start off really shitty, and then in the middle, it's real good. You get a taste form, but then at the end, all you taste is pain. <laughs> yeah, I uh, the biggest props I know I put the prequel trilogy as my least favorite, just because I I think the acting, the story, the effects. Uh, ooh, the speeder, him on the speeder bike in Attack of the Clones looks awful now Ooh, yeah uh looks real bad but i do have to give the prequels props in that trilogy is consistent mm. within itself within the acting within the story within the editing reason why i watched the phantom edits there's only one and two because the editor was then invited by george for a dinner where george said now that you've had this dinner do not uh phantom edit episode three and he complied um but the editing is so bad in the prequels. But hey, it is consistent. Where the new trilogy isn't, but I still... Acting some of the things they do in the new trilogy, I dig. Uh, to echo what you said, Mark. Yeah, of your chip analogy. Oh, The fall from grace was much harder in this new one than Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah I'll agree with that. That, hmm. David, any any final thoughts on the prequels as we close out here? Um, I think they they did their job in kind of uh, reintroducing a new generation to a world that we all love. Whether or not uh, you know you can love everything ab- about them, you, you know, I, I don't. I think is an impossibility. Uh, just because it, it spans for so much time and uh, and everybody has their own their own opinion and their own preference. David, uh, I, have, I have a I have a quick side question for you. Actually, how sure. old how old is your how old are your kids? Uh, I have I have one twelve year old. Uh, has he seen? Is he a boy? Right? Yeah, a boy. Has he has he has he seen the prequels? Oh yeah, I did, I've introduced him. How uh, did he to respond the to them? Uh, he, he he thinks they're fun. You know, okay. I mean, as as every kid should, I, you know, uh, it. I think he also has a very interesting um, take on it because he's a performer as well. 
so you know he conveys to me how much he enjoys the acting and the you know how visually it looks and and those kinds of things he he he's not he's not your average 12 year old mm. uh in in that sense um but uh you know he he loves it he loves uh clone wars he loves rebels he loves like he might actually be a bigger star wars fan than i am now that i'm thinking about it uh, <laughs> uh i mean you know he's got considerable uh considerably more time on his hands to be able to consume all of that stuff uh but um it, you know he he looks at them uh, you know with a child's eyes which i kind of envy um but how did you introduce them to him Episodically or chronologically? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I think that matters. Of course yeah. it does. Right? Of course it does. But did did you did you show him the originals first and then the prequels? Of course I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer in the uh, the release watching, um, you know, I, idea. Although uh, if you go online, there are some very interesting uh viewing option you know yeah i i love the machete machete order i i i think that one's fantastic oh if you're gonna watch all of them it makes it a much well you know what i haven't done machete since i i'm guessing there's no change in machete with the neutral Uh, not that i know of not that i know of okay um but the machete order also includes uh solo and rogue one Oh, I haven't watched it since. So the only time I did Machete, those movies didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. same here. Yeah, so there's a... Uh, because um, after Rise of Skywalker, my son and I actually looked up uh, the new watching mm. order. You know, what's the best way to watch Star Wars? And uh, Well, you watch the original three, and then <laughs> you go have a nice day. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. weird. After Return of the Jedi, it just says don't. <laughs> yeah it's like it's, it's weird films. because it's in the it's in the font of like the back to the future <laughs> to be continued to be con- concluded it just says don't it just so says weird. it's done it's finished <laughs> it That's just it. says concluded <laughs> yeah you did it well uh you know gentlemen. one last thing i want to oh, yeah, say yeah, yeah. about the prequels and and I will say this in appreciation of the movies, because even though we've tried to talk about the positive things, we've done a, still a fair amount of dumping on them. So I do want to say this: <laughs> just like the original Star Wars, like represented not only like a fun, cool space adventure movie, but sort of a leap forward in how movies were made. Mm. The prequels are that on a, a slightly smaller scale. Like they pioneered filming on digital cameras. They pioneered filming like using fully digital sets and digital characters. It did a lot to shape how filmmaking came afterwards. Now that could be for good and for bad as well. But I think it's important that people do recognize that. Uh, that it did have a huge that like, it was like that the Matrix and then like the Lord of the Rings movies that they were shooting around the same time. Mm-hmm. Those three movies it we like really just changed the way that like blockbuster movies are made. It weirdly coincides with the way that it was made. Actually coincides with the thematic story that they're telling within the prequel about going too far one way. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and thinking that it can be everything you wished for. Right. I think he went too far one way, especially with how they made it with the green screens yeah. and just how everything is just fake. Right. Is, well, going back to uh, maybe not the way to go. Uh, I mean, in, in, you know, the, the hubris of 
the the Greek god sitting on Mount Olympus, right? Going back to that same yeah. thing. Uh, the, there's a moment in one of the uh, um, the behind the scenes things where he's literally moving people around within yeah. the scene. <laughs> using after effects or whatever you know digital uh remapping that they're using at and i was like this is the end of performers as we know it yeah. they don't even have to be in the same spot on the screen mm. and they can just digitally remap i, I remember like there's that oh where the guys with the, the batman like gas grapple gun and there's the guy that's clearly behind everybody else yeah, yeah. they <laughs> speed up like it's an old charlie chaplin movie. yeah <laughs> You know what? I, I, I not to prolong it, but man, you know who never gets mentioned when the prequels are talked about, and he would be a great uh, actor and character to keep throughout, or at least a little longer, is Terrence Stamp. Yes, and Phantom mm-hmm. Menace, Chancellor Valorum, General Chancellor. Zod. Well, yeah, General Zod. Like, keep him to the next one. Like, give, give Palpatine a political opponent that he has to fight. For longer, and he's like, "Oh, I have to fight him with politics. I can't just be the emperor right now." Right, and, because oh. yeah, Terrence Stamp is clearly there just because his name is Terrence Stamp. <laughs> yeah, apparently him and Lucas did not get along. That's why he does not appear in the rest. Unsurprising. Oh. Yeah, shocker. Well. With that said, we, we must bring our, our prequel discussion to a close. Um, real quick, gentlemen, um, let's go around. Where can people find you on social media or, or any projects that you're working on? Now's the time to talk about that if you've got projects that coming up. Ricky, let's start with you if, if there's anything going on we should know about. You can follow me on Twitter at Ricky Glore. I have a weekly show since we've been in quarantine. All of my live touring stand-up shows have been canceled for the foreseeable future. Uh, so I started a week a weekly show in my basement called Weekend Pup Date. It's exactly what it sounds like. It is Weekend Update, but with a puppet um, named Norm, Norm McDonfelt. Um, very much in the vein of 94-95 Weekend Update with Norm MacDonald. We've been stupidly fortunate to have musical guests and ex-SNL guests. Like Lisa Loeb uh, did a song on an episode a couple weeks ago. Um, this week we have Luke Knoll, who was a cast member on SNL a couple years ago, doing a song. We had Gary Kroger last week. We got some other SNL alums coming on, some Daily Show alums come sending in some bits. Also, also, my uh, first comedy album that was recorded before this all happened uh, is being released in June, and you can pre-order it now on iTunes. It is called Spitting Image. Just search my name, Ricky Glore, to pre-order that. Nice. Uh, Mark, what about you? Oh, okay. Uh, well, you can check out my podcast, uh, Body Counts and Beer. It is. Uh, yeah. It it exists solely for the three of us to get together and drink beer and watch movies and BS. <laughs> Nobody listens to it, but you should. It's a lot of fun. Um, I I will happily be a guest. I would love a, to watch some like co- if I some yeah. Cobra. If and, I if yeah. I could figure if if I had the uh, uh, actual equipment to have a remote guest, oh my god, it would make life so much better. Uh, but I am uh, poor, and we use. <laughs> One microphone, baby. Um, 
But uh, also, uh, I am uh, do a show called Improvised Dungeons and Dragons at uh, Other World Theater. Obviously, with uh, the shelter in place and all that, we have not been doing shows for live audiences, but we have a uh, backlog of just recorded shows that we've been releasing on the Other World Theater uh, YouTube channel. So you can check out a bunch of weird Dungeons and Dragons improv shows that I'm in. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's David, the correct what... response. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, no, no. That sounds fantastic. Uh, David, what about you? Uh, I am most active on Instagram. It is uh, at D underscore C underscore Hernandez. Um, let's see. As far as uh, projects are coming up, obviously a lot of things are, are being put on hold um, with uh, the shelter in place. And all this COVID-19 stuff going on. Um, I do uh, Skype sessions uh, for people. Um, I guess if you don't know, I'm, I'm an actor and do fight choreography for film and television. And uh, I also do uh, training for people that want to learn how to put violence on, uh, on stage and screen. Um, so I do uh, Skype sessions through my company, uh, Film Fight Fitness, to learn like uh, sword fighting or yeah, hand-to-hand combat kind of stuff. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can go to my website, filmfightfitness.com, or you can uh, DM me uh, at my Instagram, like I said, is uh, at D underscore C underscore Hernandez. Perfect. Uh, I'm your host, Chris. Uh, you can find me here at Nerd Outcast Podcast, but uh, you can also find me on Instagram at, at Chris Bashan. Uh, most recently, uh, if you are a fan of Mortal Kombat, there is a new... Uh, downloadable story coming out for Mortal Kombat 11 that I got to participate in. I'm not allowed to say what I did until later date, but it is coming at the end of May, so please be on the lookout for that. It has RoboCop in it, which is totally what? awesome. Yes. <laughs> it has Peter Weller RoboCop in wait, it. Which wait, is, is Peter Weller doing the voice? Peter Weller is doing the voice, yes. Oh, yes, wow. yes. So uh, probably by the time this podcast is released, that uh, that dlc will be out and it's fantastic so um please check that out uh we have a lot of episodes here on nerd outcast podcast we recently talked about rise of skywalker a few months ago if you want to go check that out um we what else have we done we had a big game of thrones podcast last year and a marvel podcast not too long after that um just kind of looking at the ending of those franchises i realized we haven't really done kind of a retrospective on the entire Skywalker saga, like all three trilogies now that, that, they're, that they exist. So that might be a, a deep dive that we do not in the not too distant future. Um, there's ample time, not everybody's stuck at home, so we'll see. Um, but we do take topic suggestions here. So if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email them to nerdoutcastpodcast at gmail.com. Gentlemen, we did it. We talked Yay. about the prequels. Woo! Yay. Um, I yeah. didn't throw up once. Yay. Uh, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Chris, did you say what your ranking is of the trilogies? Man. You didn't. You slide Man, <laughs> you know, like, Ricky, Rise of Skywalker really saddened me into a very just uh, unstable place. Um, no, I, I really feel the two, like, I really feel the prequels and the sequels commit to different sins. I, you know, the prequels are poorly written and, and are poorly executed, but at least kind of like we've touched on, they, they they know what they want to be and they have a connected through line. The sequels I get very mad at because 
first off, we've had two trilogies to learn from. We're in a post MCU world, mm. and we have yeah. we have no direction. Um, you know, and I understand having different directors. What I don't understand is not yes anding. <laughs> you know, like mm. um, uh, and I really I really hated Last Jedi the first time I saw it. I didn't hate it. I just I wasn't taken with it. But upon rewatching it over and over again. I really liked that Ray was nobody. Like, I really loved that choice. I thought that was a really yes. interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought... That was one of the things that I dug about it. Mm-hmm. I think you and I were similar when we said there was things we loved about Last Jedi and there was things that mm-hmm. we thought were very... I, we thought they were very reminiscent of the prequels mm-hmm. in Last mm-hmm. Jedi. Yeah, and then to see Rise of Skywalker walk it all back, was I, I thought Ooh. that was just an unforgivable... And, and uh, yeah, it, go listen to the podcast. You'll hear all my thoughts about it. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to... What I'll say about Rise... What I'll say about Rise of Skywalker is when it ended and I had the emotions and the feelings that I did, and then it said uh, that one of the writers was Chris Terrio, who wrote Batman v Superman and Justice League. I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and even what David said earlier, like for as bad as they are, the prequels have added to the world and, and we have gotten spinoffs from the prequels that have been really great. Um, we'll still need time to see what spinoffs we get from the sequel trilogy, but I don't feel it added a lot. I felt it just rehashed too much. Mm. Um, and and yeah. I love when people are like, yeah, read the books to fill in the gaps. It's like, Okay, cool. Read the book and find out the emperor was a clone. Why? Well, the emperor. Why? Why would he? Cl- why? Like, if you're gonna clone yourself, you're gonna clone yourself to look like that, not before you turn into a shriveled penis dick. You couldn't have even read a book to hear <laughs> Palpatine's speech because it was only released to On Fortnite. Fortnite. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, just to speak with to Palpatine, like again, I love Ian McDermott. I didn't want him in the movie. I didn't Absolutely either. Like, I, no. I I think him being in the movie cheapens. Vader's redemption in Return of the Jedi, like mm-hmm. it, like so. Yeah. What? Who? Who is the chosen one? Like, what was that all about then? Like, seriously. Well, it cheapens <laughs> Ray's like journey, the whole thing. Yeah. Plus, okay, he's got we can, nasty cheapen, red wine. Lips. Cheapens. Cheapens Kylo. Yeah. yeah. Kylo is like, I'm gonna go and kill this guy. He's like, I give you everything you want. He's like, All right, I follow. Okay. You. Okay. We need to do this podcast. We'll we'll do this retrospective and we'll Rogue One. We'll do a Rogue One. Woo! We need to yeah. do that. Um, well, I'm on thank board you for that for sure. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, I've been your host, Chris Bashan, and joining me to talk about Star Wars: The Prequels have been. I'm Ricky Glore, Mark Rosendahl, and David C. Hernandez. Thank you, and may the Force be with you.